we at the Nasty Woman Club pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the Mianjin land. We acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Yarraga and Turbul people, whose sovereignty was never ceded. This land is, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast episode discusses sexual abuse and violence against women. If this episode is triggering, please contact 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-RESPECT. Hello everyone and welcome to the Nasty Woman Club podcast, your go-to platform for all things intersectional feminism, or as I like to call it, Joe Rogan's Worst Nightmare. Those of you that do not know me, that do not know this show, I am the Nasty Woman Club host, Demi Lynch. And today on the show, we are joined by author, political journalist, and the woman responsible for calling out a misogynist prick on national television, Amy Ramakis. Now, for those of you that do not know what I'm talking about, that are unaware of a certain video going viral in late January, Amy appeared on the project to speak about her incredible book on reckoning, which highly recommend, by the way. However, during her appearance, though, she famously slammed journalist Peter Van Onselen for his offensive opinion pieces about Grace Tame, Brittany Higgins, and honestly, just women in general. Here's a quick snippet in case you forgot, in case you've been living under a rock, and here's just basically what happened on the project during that segment. And I have to say this, um, Peter, your um, remarks during this whole period is one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because your response absolutely helped fuel my anger and the anger of so many people around it. Because not only do people what was need my to response? Your response when you were talking about the micro and the macro of the situation and how perhaps we needed to think about, you know, some of the other people who were involved in some other allegations that came up at the time, it was just flabbergasting to me. You hold such an important position in the na- national conversation. But that that was that just... To, can I just, for my own point here, can I just clarify, that wasn't about Brittany Higgins. That was no, about Christian Porter. it wasn't about Brittany Higgins, yeah. but it was within the same conversation. It's all part of the same conversation. And you hold such an important part in that conversation. And for you to take that line was devastating to so many people. So today on the show, Amy and I will be speaking about this segment that's got countrywide attention. But we'll also be uncovering other important issues about violence against women and how men seem to never be part of the conversation. We'll also be discussing whether political leaders should know more about the daily cost of living and whether they really should be separating themselves from the everyday person in Australia. And yes, it will be another call-out segment against Scott Morrison. I mean, that's no surprise considering this platform. But anyway, yes, at the beginning of this episode, we will be talking about that viral news segment, but I do want to assure you all it's not just going to be about that. It is going to be about... 
the underlying issues that's really happening in Australia right now, particularly regarding women and also minorities that are being affected by majority violent men. So I really do hope that you enjoy this podcast episode with Amy. I greatly appreciate her coming onto the podcast. And yeah, I cannot wait for you all to hear my interview with her. Anyway, this is Amy Ramakis. All right, everyone, we have the fabulous Amy on our show today. You have probably seen her on the project. You probably have seen her be, quote unquote, an angry woman. This is Amy. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. You did the famous interview on the project and you got to speak to Peter, one of the hosts. And I have to say, how did you handle this man? His views is not only incredibly disturbing to women across the country and people that have been victims of domestic violence and sexual abuse, but also very personal to your experience as well like how how do you like you know do your job as a journalist and then also at that time as well you know you're talking about your book how do you do your job and talk about these issues that mean so personally to you when you're talking to a man who gets angry about a woman not smiling instead of about the fact that a woman dies every week from violence in Australia well I'd say that he probably wouldn't say that he gets angry that he just thought it was a very rational and reasonable discussion uh, (laughs) as some people tend to think um I that that was that was difficult because I I'm very uncomfortable in becoming part of the story because that's not my role at all and my role is to tell stories not be part of it Mm. and I'm also very uncomfortable uh if it seems like I'm speaking for anybody else because I can't speak for anyone else uh and we were talking of course about uh Grace Tame and I don't know Grace uh personally and you know that I can't speak for Grace Tame or what she was feeling in that particular moment. But the reason that I felt the need to speak out in that particular um, instance was because this is real life and words do have power. And when you have someone who has such a huge platform, I mean, he has a podcast, he's got a column in the National Masthead, he's the political editor of a commercial news network, he has multiple guest appearances in a a whole range of different shows, including on the National Broadcaster. So a lot of people know who he is and hear his views. And I know that certain views that he had in the last year and particularly on that day as well really did hurt people and upset people and it left people kind of just going it's do does the Australian media understand this do we understand what is happening and I just thought that I would be a huge hypocrite if I sat there and you know politely asked uh, answered the question uh I didn't plan it. It wasn't something that I was overly comfortable in doing, but I just thought like, if I don't actually speak up here, then what is the point of, you know, what I say and and what I advocate for? So it, it was, it was difficult and, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was journalist be journalist. Uh, I think it was more just sort of, uh, a moment where I just got very, very angry, uh, and was, 
for one of the rare occasions, able to articulate that anger uh, in a way that seemed to resonate with quite a few people, because I think a lot of us have kind of sat back and listened to some of the views on, uh, you know, when it comes to gendered and vulnerable people violence, and you just kind of think, like, why are we having these stupid side discussions? Why are we still using you know, the politics of civility to try and police people and their reactions when the actual core issue is that people are being raped and murdered and seriously injured and traumatized and having their lives thrown off course by something that could actually be addressed if we actually had the moral fortitude and courage to get to the root of those systemic problems. I couldn't agree more. It seems to be now these days, it's all about the gossip. It's all about the politics of it all. And like, you know, who, who's against who and stuff like that. And I got to admit, like sometimes, yeah, I do. Like when that story did come out about you and the project with Peter and then Carrie Bigmore then came and I was just like, yes, this is awesome. Two women taking on this man. But I had to look at myself and reflect and think like the issue here is two women are bravely speaking about sexual violence, sexual abuse, and the story that's going to come out of this is that like, oh, journalists butting heads. And it just sucks because what really should be the conversation right now is why is it always women having to talk about this? This isn't a women's issue. This is a men's issue because it's men that continue to be violent. Like statistics came out recently this week that it's 97% of perpetrators are men. So why is it, What? where are all the men activists? Where are all these big male celebrities what, where are them, where are they like, you know, coming onto shows and, you know, calling out the other men in the world that are just ignoring this issue? Like, why is it always women having to do this? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the big issues with this because uh, it is always women. And it's also, and this is another thing that makes me quite uncomfortable with this. It's it's often women like me who are given this, you know, this space to do it. And I understand the irony because I'm currently talking to you on a podcast about this. But when we look, break down the statistics even further, it is Indigenous women, trans women, women of colour, uh, women of particular religions uh, and women of, you know, of diverse cultures who are even more impacted by this. And yet we don't tend to hear those voices. And I think it's because much like uh, your point to where all the, you know, the men activists on this, it's like we're not ready to have that conversation. So I'm an acceptable sort of rape survivor to start talking about these issues because I look like a lot of people's daughters, for instance. So I'm someone that they can go, oh yes, well, if it happened to her, we should take this very seriously. But it, it's, not, it's not that it happened to me, it's that it's happening and that it's happening everywhere. And we're not doing enough about that. And you're absolutely right. This is a men's issue. I mean, I know when I was at school and we would have, you know, sex ed or we'd have, you know, the big talks, the women or the, you know, the teens were always taken into different gendered rooms to have this discussion. And the room that I was in was taught how to protect yourself and how to stay safe and how to avoid, you know, sketchy situations and that sort of thing where like the boys weren't, weren't told that sort of stuff. The boys were just kind of taught about, 
how to put a condom on a banana and you know like just trying to be a good bloke but they weren't taught like don't rape women don't take advantage of someone when she's drunk you have to get consent this is what can active consent looks like you know here's how you can tell if you're making somebody uncomfortable here's where you've crossed over into you know dangerous behavior that wasn't at all canvassed and yet we were all being told how to protect ourselves from potentially our classmates it's just it's just absolutely ridiculous to me. And every single time that we bring up where are the men in this conversation, I get messages from very well-meaning men uh, saying, oh, well, we don't know how. You don't need to tell us what's happening because we know and we don't need you to advocate for us because there is enough of that. We need you to start talking to each other and holding each other to account. Like that, that's pretty much it. I mean, yep. mm -hmm. I've, I've said this, I've said this multiple times, but I think it bears repeating. How do we all know someone who has been a victim of sexual violence, but we don't know a perpetrator? Like, how is that possible? Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's not, it is not possible. And when I've done court reporting in the past, and there were rare occasions where we got to a point of sentencing someone for sexual violence, there were character references and every single one said this was out of character they're a good guy and this was completely out of character it was a moment in time and they regret it and the sentence that is too harsh here is just going to derail like you know this this young man's life and every single one said that out of character but there was something that happened. There is some part of their character that made them think that they could do it mm -hmm. and get away with it. And so where is that being addressed among the men? Because they've got friends. We know that they've got friends. Where are the men in the pubs telling them to leave her alone, mm -hmm. to just she's, that she's not interested? Where are they saying, hey, mate, she's had too much to drink? like you know leave that alone where are they like pulling each other up on like just gendered jokes that they're making where are they pulling each other up for the disrespect for other genders where is that happening because we're walking around thinking can I run in these shoes if I have to and they're walking around just being all like oh I'm a little uncomfortable with this but god it would be more uncomfortable if I called it out and it's just not good enough anymore yeah, it's not rocket science. Like we just want you, because the sad reality, as I've said this numerous times, is that the sad reality is a lot of men will likely listen to their best mate, listen to their dad, listen to a man, then listen to a woman because then they just think like, oh, it's women versus men. It's just, like they just make it into, you know, like, oh, it's just feminism gone bad. It's just women hating men now these days. We can't get away with anything. But which really sucks that yes, it is men that listen to men most likely, but it's so true though, because as well, like with men from such a young age, they're taught not to express themselves, not to, they don't talk to each other like women do. And we gotta change that because otherwise, yeah, like you said, we're gonna continue having like, oh, these big shocking moments of like, oh, this, this guy raped this woman. Oh, that's so out of character. I had no idea. But it's like, you, you, how could you not, like you should know you should know if your friend if your friend thinks that they could do that to someone thinks that they have power over that person like you should know yeah yeah it doesn't ha it doesn't happen in a vacuum 
there's always warning signs there absolutely is always warning signs and maybe you just think like oh that's them you know they've had a bit much to drink but if they've had a bit much to drink and you still think that's them like it's in them there is something that is in them that is dangerous Mm -hmm. and where is the accountability for that like I just I just don't understand it and you know I, I do think maybe and this is just such a small thing and I know some people think this is ridiculous but if we stopped talking about the statistics in terms of women you know one in three women will be a victim of sexual violence or harassment and started saying one in three men will be a perpetrator of sexual violence and harassment Or instead of one woman a week on average will be murdered by her partner in in Australia or by a man in Australia. If we just said one man in Australia on average will become a murderer like each week, like would that start to change things? Because then suddenly there's the outcry of not all men and all the rest of it. But it's not all men, but it's enough men that we are still having this conversation. So perhaps it's time that we turned to the men to start addressing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it may not be all women, but it is majority of women. Like, I don't know any woman, I don't know any woman in my life or in my circle or anyone on social media that hasn't been affected somehow by abuse, by harassment, by violence. Like, so like, when does it stop? And I think that's such a good point. What you say, like, do we need to flip these statistics around to really show that, it may not be all men, but you know what? It's a great number of men and we need to do something about it. And it's so it's so common for women too that I often when I have these conversations with, you know, friends or acquaintances, but I, so often I hear like them thinking, oh, I always thought it had never happened to me that I was one of the lucky ones. But then I remembered and they, you know, they re- recount some incident that's just absolutely terrible that happened in their youth or, you know, just one time when they were out and they had brushed it off because they were like, oh, this is normal. It's normal that a guy is flashing me as I walk past the bus stop. It's normal that a guy followed me in my school uniform and was calling me beautiful and trying to like, you know, touch me. It's normal that somebody just cornered me in a pub and thrust me up against the wall and put his tongue down my throat. Like, that's normal. So I completely forgot about it. But now I realize like, oh, actually, no, I haven't been immune from this. And they're just the everyday things. That's not even, you know, when you get into like people who have been coerced on dates or people who have said yes, because they've said no so often that they they become like just completely terrified for their safety or just, you know, women with husbands who they can't say no to. It's just, it is everywhere and it's such an uncomfortable conversation and that seems to be the get out of jail free card where people just kind of go oh I don't like talking about this well I don't like living with it and I don't like knowing so many people who live with it and I would kind of like to try and build a world where people don't have to live with it anymore because otherwise what what is the point like what is the point of these conversations One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Another topic I do really want to speak to you about. This was a topic that you spoke about on the drum recently, which anyone that is listening right now hasn't seen your segment on the drum, highly recommend it, give it a listen. Something that you said really resonated with me and a lot of people was your mention about how the prime minister, about how our politicians, they need to know what the average costs of daily living is. So you brought up this conversation because at the National Press Club, the prime minister, Scott Morrison, was asked about whether he knew the average price of, you know, for a bottle of milk, petrol, for a loaf of bread, stuff like that. And he was just like, oh, I, don't, I like, you know, why, why should I know that? You know, I don't fill up my car with petrol. I don't buy a loaf of bread. I don't buy the milk. I'm really surprised he didn't just say like, oh, Jenny does that. I'm so surprised he didn't say that. But <laughs> you made such a good point about how it really is not okay for the person that is controlling our country making all these big decisions, they should know what, like how, why is it so important for our prime minister to know the daily essentials, the average cost of them? Well, because the prime minister is in charge of a government that sets the policies that dictates how much people can live on. So this government decided that $44 a day was enough for unemployed people to live on. This government decides what the pension rate is. This government decides what the disability pension rate is. This government decides what subsidies it is putting in place. And so if you're doing all of that and you use the excuse of living within your means to dictate what people are going to live on, but you don't actually actually understand the cost of daily life, then you have failed. You have failed not only the social contract, but you have failed the people you are meant to be representing. And that's why it's important. There's a lot of chatter about how it was a gotcha question. And in a lot of, a lot of ways it was. Like there's a, there's a story that John Howard used to walk around with a piece of paper that had the daily cost of those items written on it, a staffer had written on it. He didn't know, a staffer had to tell him, but just in case he was ever asked. Because, you know, it is that, you know, sort of current affair sort of question. Mm. But it is important when you consider that there are people who are trying to live on $44 a day who can't fill up their car with petrol because if they do that, then they're not eating who can't catch the bus in, in for a job interview because that's $10, which only leaves them with X amount once you take out rent, who are trying to like make decisions about what they can buy in the supermarket and putting items back before they get to the checkout counter because they know that they're not going to be able to afford it. You need to understand the cost of living in order to set those policies. And that's why it's so important. And that's why it's just so disingenuous for him to be all like, oh, well, it's completely understandable that I don't know the cost of these things. It's it just, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to me. 
It honestly was such a slap in the face to hear it, to be honest, because I have been on Centrelink so many times in my life due to job loss and due to um, also being in university. Like I've been on it so many times and I have also been broke as hell throughout my life. Like, you know, I've had to pay for petrol using coins that I could find in my car, or I've had to somehow been able to get groceries on Afterpay or even just get like this $20 worth of groceries on Afterpay. Like, I think he needs to understand the, like how much, like, it's not just a struggle trying to afford things. It's like, try, it's just the emotional struggle as well, trying to navigate in your brain being like, okay, all right, if I only spend, say, this amount of money this week, then I might be able to afford this amount next week, but no, then I have a bill coming in. And then like, it's it's a lot. Whereas people that are of the, you know, the higher bracket, the, the richer people, they might not have to go through those hurdles every single day. Like it's an everyday thing of, do I catch the bus so I can get to work or can I then not work? But then if I cannot work, then I go on, Centrelink then if I go on Centrelink then like it's just the continuous emotional hurdles I think he he needs to understand that like you know if you're going to govern a whole country of people you need to understand the hurdles they have to go through just with deciding the opportunity cost of money and yeah it just really was just a slap in the face when he said like oh it doesn't matter about the average cost of bread or petrol and it's just like but for us that is so much like you know like petrol these days are insane the cost of petrol are insane like i remember i remember when i got my license petrol was like i think the cheapest i was able to get petrol was like 90 cents and now like nowadays that's it's like can't get that much like it's just it's just you can just really then see how separated he is then from the everyday people and he's allowing himself to be it's just it's total shit honestly yeah, well, I mean, petrol has gone up, I think, about 32% in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Coalition has been in government for a decade. Uh, they don't necess- they don't have control over the costs of these things, but they've overseen policies which have suppressed wage growth at the same time. That was to try and keep inflation down. But inflation hasn't been an issue in Australia for quite some time. It's starting to look like it might be on the way up, which is why we're all talking about this sort of stuff. But inflation and cost of living aren't the same thing. And the cost of living has been going up over the last decade. The cost of housing expenses, basic groceries, petrol and transport, all of that has increased. But wages haven't increased at the same time and pensions and other social security benefits also have not increased. In fact, when it comes to the unemployment payment, that pretty much remains stagnant since the 90s. So there would be people listening to this who would be older than the last real proper increase to the unemployment payment. And that is just that is just crazy to me when you consider that it is there as a safety net and we've essentially destroyed that safety net. But then we counted on those people who are in that safety net and who have we put below the poverty line to save us during the early stages of the pandemic. So the government knows that if you give people on lower incomes more money, they will spend that money. If you give people on higher incomes more money, they can afford to save it because they've already got discretionary income. So the government increased all of those payments during the pandemic, the first year of the pandemic, because they needed people to keep 
spending in the economy. And that meant people were buying shoes, putting tires on cars, paying electricity bills, going out and buying all of those little things that they haven't been able to buy for the last however long they've been on benefits. And that money is what kept Australia afloat. And so the moment that it all looks like it was okay, the government cuts the payments again and puts those people back into abject poverty that they had just lifted out with a stroke of a pen. So they relied on people on social security to, to keep the economy going. And then the thank you they got was, okay, off you go and, you know, go get a job. Like, thanks very much for your service. I am so much full of rage as well as like having a complete light bulb moment. Like I never thought of it that way. I never thought of it. Like, cause of course the government, they just love to, you know, like create their own narrative and being like, Oh, because there's so many people in Centrelink. We're so many people needing these um, government benefits. They've lost their jobs. We're going to give them extra support. We're going to give them extra money because you know, they, we don't want them to suffer during the pandemic. No, it was just so that it was just so there was more spending money of the pen. Sorry, having complete light bulb moment. It's all making sense to me now. Oh my god! Yeah, it wasn't out of the goodness of their heart. It was literally to save the Australian economy, and it did. Wow. Yeah. Because if you don't have money and you're suddenly given enough money to live on, like a universal basic income, you will go and spend that money. And that's what happened. And that is wow. literally what kept Australia going. Yeah, my hatred for Scott Morrison isn't getting any better right now. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is just an I hate ScoMo podcast. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for putting that into words because now I'm just like baffled, not surprised, but just, yeah, it all makes sense now. So to finish off this podcast episode, which again, I'm just so grateful for you coming on to the show today because yes, already you've taught me so much about another reason why to hate ScoMo. I would love to finish off today with our highlights and lowlights of the week. Every single week, a guest comes onto the show and we both share what has been a positive, what has been a negative of the show. Sorry, my dog is coughing in the background. Dolce, (laughs) are you okay? Are you all right? Chill girl. She heard Scott Morrison's name and she was just like, ew, gross. I don't want to listen to it. Yeah, it was a trigger for her. It was triggering, yes. Okay, so let's start off with you, my dear Edna. I know it's been a chaotic past couple of weeks for you, mm-hmm. but what has been your low light of the week? What's been your low light? Uh, my low light would be Scott Morrison at the National Press Club uh, referring to Brittany Higgins and the situation she found herself in. Uh, that was particularly good or just, yeah, rage inducing and just also just despairing really that, you know, we're so far into this conversation and he still doesn't get it. So yeah, that is definitely my low light. I just don't understand how someone with, you know, years of experience in politics, you know, you're speaking to people pretty much every day. How can you not know how to not sound like a, excuse my language, how to not sound like a cunt when speaking about, and it's not a situation. A situation is like, you know, accidentally running into an ex and it's awkward and stuff. Getting sexually assaulted in parliament, probably one of the most safest buildings in the world. That's not a situation, honey. Like that, like, oh my God. And like, Every rape is not a situation you find yourself in because otherwise that would be the situation of just finding yourself with a man, really. Like that's 
pretty much it. So I suppose we should all stay locked in our little towers and never come in, into contact with other human beings because of the situations we might find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Well, my low light of the week, I would have to say, ooh, I think it has to involve the National Press Club again because that was a bit <laughs> of a shit. That was a bit of a shit show. I think the low light would have to be your good old matey Peter when he was speaking to Scott Morrison and he revealed like the text messages about Gladys and about some words that she might have said about Scott Morrison. He received not one negative news article opinion piece about him being angry and coming to the press club and being angry you know he should have been polite to the prime minister or something like that there was nothing Mm -hmm. there was nothing yet when grace tame simply doesn't smile there was like hundreds hundreds of hundreds of articles opinion pieces written about it yet he does that and reveals those private text messages and doesn't say something very polite to scott morrison nothing nothing at all well, I guess that's just because he's so rational and reasonable, I suppose. Mm-hmm, that would yes. that would be mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not an angry person. And he and no. yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. We should all be as <laughs> rational and reasonable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we'll finish off on a higher note, my dear. What has been your highlight of the week? Uh, that would be seeing that um, Ronnie Gorey won the Victorian Premier's Literature Prize uh, for her debut novel, Black and Blue, which is brilliant. Uh, everyone should go out and read that if they haven't already. Uh, it was just so great to see such a strong and inspiring person recognised. Yeah, well, yeah, highly recommend everyone get on to that book. And also, of course, your book as well, On Reckoning. My do you have any idea how hard it is to get it? Everywhere it's just like, oh, it's on pre-order, it's pre-order. It's very popular right now. It's just like, oh no. But I have I have it coming at my local bookshop. I'm very excited. So I'm like waiting by my phone being like, good, it's going to come in. So very keen on it. But yes, everyone get ordering it. Get ordering of your latest book as well on Reckoning because it's very popular, very popular in demand. Yes. Um, I think my highlight of the week, gosh, what would be my highlight of the week? Oh, I had something early. Okay, so I got into a bit of a, I've had like some private things happen in my life this week that has been causing me a bit of a rage and just had a bit of a moment where I thought a friend of mine was a good friend, but they ended up stabbing me in the back and I got a bit cranky. So something that my partner and I have been doing is, you know, those curbside collection points that you have like, that you like, you know, people leave things on the side of the road. Um, When we drive past those, when we see TVs, we've been collecting TVs. So when I have a moment, I need to let out my rage, let out my anger. I will then bring out a TV into the backyard, put it on a top and then smash it. And damn, it felt good. It felt really, really good. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh-huh. I'm not sure there's enough televisions in the world uh, for, you know, some of my anger, but that sounds like a pretty good outlet. <laughs> it was amazing yep got got a hammer got like a big stick thing got a shovel and yep just oh best thing ever so yes people if you want to let out your anger i don't know if it's a healthy way or not i don't know but yeah tvs are curbside selection they are on curbside collection they are a great way to um let out that anger out yes (laughs) sounds amazing Uh, 
Well, thank you so much, Amy, though, for coming on to the podcast. I greatly appreciate it, especially with your, the busy couple of weeks you've had. And I just appreciate all the work you're doing. And I just hope you get some rest, honey. You need to, <laughs> you need some rest. Get away from the world right now because it's just, yeah. But just, just thank you for everything that you do. And thank you for coming on. No, thank you. And I think we can all do with some rest. It's been a long, long few years. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Few years, not weeks, years. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Thank you to everyone that has listened to today's episode of the Nasty Woman Club podcast. And also another big thank you to Amy for appearing on today's episode. Everyone out there that's listening, please go and buy Amy's new book on Reckoning. If you want to hear more conversations about the topics that we uncovered on today's show. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram and don't forget to give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. I'll see you all next week on Wednesday for another episode of the Nasty Woman Club podcast. I'm your host, Demi Lynch. Stay nasty, everyone. We at the Nasty Woman Club pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the Mianjin land. We acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Yarraga and Turbul people, whose sovereignty was never ceded. This land is, and always will be, Aboriginal land.